Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. So we've been working through the book of Deuteronomy and this, this evening we come to think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, in lots of ways, one of the most important parts of the Bible. Uh, if you go into old churches, even some old churches in Australia, certainly in the UK, you'll often see you know, printed up on the wall the Ten Commandments. Uh, back in the 16th century, Queen Elizabeth I commanded that every church in England should have the Ten Commandments printed up there. Um, in previous generations, lots of Christians as they're growing up uh, would have learnt off by heart the Apostles' Creed, you know, the basics of what we believe, the Lord's Prayer, the basic prayer for Christians, and the Ten Commandments, how we're to live. And we probably don't think about them as much as previous generations have. And yet when we come to look at them, as we do this evening, there's a bit of a risk that they're going to feel a bit too familiar, or perhaps that we'll think they're a bit old and irrelevant, or perhaps a bit of both. I hope we can, um, hope we can get past that. Uh, there's so much that I could say about the Ten Commandments, and there's books and books and books that have been written on it, but I'm going to try not to do that this evening. In fact, I'm going to try and restrain myself and not say too much, which will mean there's some loose ends in what I say, uh, but then open up at the end to see if there's questions or comments or reflections that you'd like to, uh, to share with us. So we've heard that today is Pentecost, and of course one of the great ministries of the Spirit is that he writes the law of the Lord on our hearts. So let's pray that he'll do that. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things out of your law. You promise to write your law on our hearts by your spirit. Do that now. Teach us to love you with all that we are, to love our neighbours as ourselves and to live for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're following through in the book of Deuteronomy. You remember the setting. Uh, a generation ago, God rescued his people from, Israel, from Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea, brought them to Mount Sinai, spoke to them there, uh, then took them to the promised land, but they refused to enter into the promised land. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That generation who refused to go in and largely died, and now God has brought them back to the promise, to the edge of the promised land, and they're about to enter in, and Moses speaks to them there. And he reminds them of all of that, and especially of what God said to them, and applies it to them as they're about to enter in to the promised land. And, and, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy is very much about. It's, it's a series of sermons from Moses to the people of Israel, reminding them of what God has 
said to them. And so we hear, beginning of our passage here in Deuteronomy 5, Hear, Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. And there's uh, two things in particular in those opening words before Moses gets to listing out the Ten Commandments that are really worth noticing because I think they help us understand what the Ten Commandments are and, and how they work. The first is to notice that they come as part of God's covenant. So Moses says, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, Mount Sinai. And covenant is a really important Bible word to speak about the kind of relationship that God has with his people. That God takes them to belong to him, that he loves them, that he reveals himself to them so they know him. He makes promises to them. And he calls them to live for him. And of course, you know, I said them, but that's us as well. The very heart of covenant is where God says, and he says this multiple times through the Bible, I will be your God and you will be my people. Covenant is a gracious commitment where God offers intimacy and an undeserved welcome to his people. Uh, it's not about what they've done for him, but about what he does for them. And uh, that's why it was great that we learnt that new song, He is Faithful, is that what it was called? Uh, which, I mean, I was thinking about this because I was thinking about the sermon. It doesn't use the word covenant, but actually that is all about covenant, about God's faithful commitment to us in grace and love to be our God and to never give up on us. People nowadays uh, sometimes talk about the reality of being ghosted in relationships. Um, I don't know if you know the name, you know the word, but I'm sure you know the experience of someone who just kind of disappears, just drops out of your life. You thought you were really great friends, turns out not any longer. And in ghosting, you never even find... It's not that they come out kind of swinging and telling you what they've done, you've done wrong, they just disappear. And I guess we've all had those kind of experiences of um, insecure and, and, and um, uh, fragile relationships. And it might be we get ghosted or it might be more directly someone just turns on us and, and rejects us, abandons us. God's covenant is about the fact he doesn't do that, he won't do that. He commits himself to us. He knows what we're like and he gives himself to be our God. And he saves us, for the people of Israel, particularly saving them out of Egypt as slaves, even more fully and completely for us, saving us from sin and death by the Lord Jesus. That's covenant, that God has given himself to us and made us his own. And so the Ten Commandments are not a kind of raw demand where God says, I'm God and you just have to do what I say. It's not a transaction. It's not God negotiating to say, well, here's what I'll do for you and then you need to do this for me. 
He's not sending out a condition that's saying, look, I'll love you if you obey me. No, this is gracious covenant. This is God saying, I, I love you. I've saved you. You are mine. And this is how you live as one of my redeemed people, restored to be the kind of person that I always made you to be. So we need to see that God's law in the Ten Commandments comes as part of his gracious covenant. And the second thing to notice is how contemporary this word is or these words are. Hey, as Moses speaks to the people, you know, he says, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. In fact, he's very explicit. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us. With all of us who are alive here today, the Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. In some ways, if you were there listening to that or if you're thinking about it, it should make you scratch your head because actually it was with their ancestors that he made. It wasn't with them. It was to their parents that he spoke. And yet it shows us something about God's word, especially his covenant word and the Ten Commandments included in that, that what he said to the previous generation, he just as much said to them. And of course, when he called the previous generation, he made a promise to them and their children and their children's children and to a thousand generations of those who loved him and were called according to his purpose. And so what he said then, he still says now. And so Moses can say to them, you know, God still speaks exactly the same words to you now. And that's the way it is with God's word. His word remains for now. And, and that's true for us as well. As we hear these words to Israel, they're also God's word to us. Now, certainly there's ways in which the Old Testament changes in how it applies to us. And even there are some changes about the way parts of the Ten Commandments apply to us. But when Jesus talks to his followers about how they're to live for him, you know, he works from the Ten Commandments. We just read Paul in Romans 13 saying that all of the commandments are summed up in the great commandment or the second great commandment, Paul's quoting, love your neighbour as yourself. But he doesn't say... Christians don't keep the commandments. He's just saying, we do, and we do that as we love our neighbour. And so this is still God's word to us today. And these words are particularly important because they are at the very heart of God's law. You know, when Moses now begins to repeat to the people of Israel all that God has said to them, he comes back to the Ten Commandments as the starting point. These are the words that were written on the tablets of stone. And remember what happens to the tablets of stone. They're put into the Ark of the Covenant and they stay there in the tabernacle and in the temple because these are the very heart of how Israel are to live for God. Lots of the rest of the Old Testament commands and laws are detailed and talk about how Israel are to live in the particular situation of being in the land and 
being a nation. But the Ten Commandments give us the big picture. These are the principles. These are the big ideals. And that's why the New Testament continues to apply them to Jesus' followers. The details of all the Old Testament laws don't apply to us in the same way because we're not a nation. We no longer have a temple, or we have a temple fulfilled in Christ. We have a true priest fulfilled in Christ, but we don't have an earthly temple, an earthly priesthood, so things have changed. But the principles expressed in the Ten Commandments continue to reflect God's character and how he's made us. And so these are at the very heart of how we're to live. And so I think it was a good instinct that over the generations... It's often been the Ten Commandments that have been what people have learnt as the basic shape of living for God. Well, what do they say? As I said, there's lots of ways we can spell them out and, 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 and uh, talk about their implications, but I'm just going to give a bit of a summary. Uh, the first four commandments really focus on our love and loyalty to God. He has loved you and he has made, and he's promised he will be faithful to you. He'll never let go of you. And so we're called to respond like that, to be loyal to him and love him. And then the, the second group, 6 to 10, show how that flows out into the way we are to be loyal to and love those around us. So the first four commandments, particularly about our loyalty and love for God, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not take for yourself an image in the form of anything uh, above or on the earth, beneath or on the waters, you shall not misuse the name of your Lord your God, you shall observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I want to focus particularly on that third one, which is perhaps the one that we often think less least about. The NIV says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But here is, I think, one case where the older translation probably has it better. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I guess we often think about that in terms of you know, swearing and blasphemy. We're not, we shouldn't use God's name in a way that um, is disrespectful for him. And, and that, that's true, but it, it actually talking about something way bigger. It's really talking about the reality of covenant. Uh, Israel take God's name because he puts it on them. He says, you will be my people. And he gives them his name to call on, to cry out to him, to worship him. His name is not just a label. It's his reputation. It's his glory. It's his presence. He says to them later on in Deuteronomy that there will be a place where he will put his name, that's the, ultimately the temple where they go to worship him. And so he's saying, this is your relationship with me. You're not to take that in vain. You're not to make that an empty thing. In the way you speak about me and the way you live, you're not to trash my reputation. You're to be conscious of the fact that I am your God. There's only one God You're to worship me the way I call to be worshipped, not the way the gods around want to be worshipped by making idols. You're to 
devote your time in worshipping me one day a week, particularly set aside for worship for God. And so they're not to, they're given the name of the Lord in his covenant relationship with him. And, and they're to respond to him in consistent love and loyalty. So next week in Deuteronomy 6, we'll hear that summarised with those words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. So four commandments about worship and loyalty and love for God. And then commandments about how we love people around us. And it's interesting, that fourth commandment about Sabbath already starts to think about other people as well. Uh, The fourth commandment says, you keep a Sabbath day. Six days you will work. Part of the way in which we love the people around us is to work faithfully. Part of the way we provide for our families and serve others. But we're not just made for work, we're also made for rest and worship. And so we need to take the time to rest and worship. But God also says... It's not just you, it's the people in your household, your son, your daughter, your servants, even your animals. You're to give them time to rest and worship as well. So that fourth commandment starts to show us the way that our love and loyalty to God is going to affect our love and loyalty to other people. And then the commandments talk about family life, first of all, Honouring your parents. And then that's in the fifth commandment. And then the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, about faithfulness in marriage. So God's telling us that we're placed in families and we're to be faithful in both of those relationships, our relationships with our parents and then conversely parents to children and with our husbands and wives where we're in that sort of relationship. And that's probably a good point to make an observation that I could make at multiple, you know, when we talked about any of the commandments, but perhaps it's the one about parents that we notice it the most. Uh, Some of us will be in situations where it's actually quite complicated to work out how do we honour our parents uh, for all sorts of different reasons. Um, And the Ten Commandments operate at the big principle. They tell you, here's the big principle, honour your parents. And you don't, you, you don't respond to that by saying, well, it's not relevant to me because my parents were abusive or they've abandoned me. But you have to work out what does it look like to honour your parents, sometimes in complicated situations. We could say that about, lots of the, about each of the commandments, that there can, of course, be all sorts of complexities and we need to pray to God for wisdom in seeing how we're going to do this in our particular circumstances. So there are commands about family. There's commands about life, protecting human life, do not murder. Positively, that's going to mean we are called to protect human life, to care for people, to provide for those around us where we can. There's protection for property, we're not to steal. God gives us things to own in order to live for him. We need possessions, we need housing and clothes and tools and transport and God gives us that and gives us more than that. 
but we're not to take what God hasn't given us, what he's given to other people. And of course, that also means that we need to protect what God has given to other people. And then there's a commandment about not giving false testimony. I think first and foremost, that's actually about not lying in court. That a society, if it's going to operate well, needs a fair and just legal system and that requires people who will speak honestly. But it's not just about that. It's about loving the truth always because God is truth and he speaks the truth and that should be our way as well. We don't love others by telling lies or hiding the truth or misleading them. And so we start to see how holistic the Ten Commandments are. They're about worshipping God with everything, with all that we are, responding to him with love and loyalty, and then responding to the people around us in concrete ways, in love and loyalty, in our work, in our rest, in our marriages and families in caring for lives and possessions and the truth. And then the final commandment, the tenth commandment, adds a really important perspective. God's words are not just about how we act externally, they're to apply to who we are on the inside. So the ninth commandment takes the seventh commandment about adultery and the eighth commandment about stealing and says this is to be your attitude as well. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbour's house or land, male or female servant, ox or donkeys, or anything that belongs to him. It's not just that you need to keep your hands off what does not belong to you. You should keep your desires off what does not belong to you as well. And so when in Matthew 5, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, about the kind of righteousness that the kingdom requires, and he takes the commandment about adultery and applies it to lust, and he takes the commandment about murder and applies it to hatred, he's just doing what the Ten Commandments already did. Saying this is not just about your actions, it's also about the kind of person that you should be. So there are the Ten Commandments. They show us a pattern of devotion to God and love to others and they connect those two things together. That the way in which we, we show our love and loyalty to God, to him directly and also in the way we treat our neighbour. And they apply it to all sorts of parts of our life and to who we are as well as what we do. And they're still God's word to us now because we've been loved. Because God has loved us in Christ. He saved us from sin and death. And taken us to be his people and his children. And because of that, we're called to live in a way that responds to him faithfully. We've been loved so that we will love. Let me pray and then I'll see whether you want to ask questions or make comments or follow up some of those thoughts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. You love us more than we can imagine. 
Uh, You've given us your great and precious promises uh, in your words and in your actions in the Lord Jesus so that we are your children. Uh, Help us to respond to you, devoting ourselves to you, serving you, uh, loving you as we should with all that we are and showing that to those around us as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.